0: Our reading for today comes from the book of James, chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here is a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with either evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said, you shall not commit adultery, Also said, you shall not commit murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. This is the will of
1: the Lord. James is Jesus' younger half-brother. He's based in Jerusalem and he's writing to Christians scattered throughout the world and he's worried. He's worried that Christians are becoming double-minded. They're looking and sounding like believers, but they're speaking and acting just like everyone else in the world around. And so chapter 1 ends with him saying it's possible to have a religion that is worthless. When we get to chapter 4, he'll talk about this double mindedness as well, it's like um, being in a marriage, but at the same time conducting a fair. It's disloyal and dishonoring to God as well as to ourselves. And it makes us unstable people. So James is writing to warn, but he's writing with a positive agenda. He's writing to help and to encourage people to be single-minded, to be wholehearted in our love for God. So when we get to our bit of chapter 2 today, he gives us an example of double-mindedness, which I think is really, really relevant uh, still today. Uh, If you look down to verse 1, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favouritism or partiality is a word that's sometimes used, as in, I'm really partial to mushrooms or a nice bit of cheese. It's fine to be partial to food, but not to people. We can't say, oh, I'm partial to certain types of people. They're my favourites. At least we will say that less and less and less when we absorb, when we listen to God's way of Looking at the world, his word on things, the gospel of Jesus Christ, when it's planted in our lives and when he changes us by his Holy Spirit. So, if we look to chapter 2 and verse 2, James, uh, having said this about favouritism, then gives us an example. He says, um, Imagine you're in a church meeting. Hopefully, we won't have to imagine uh, for very much longer. And next week, we've got a a simple service in the afternoon. Uh, So, imagine you're part of that. I don't know, not everyone will be able to be but if you can be, um, and uh, a couple of people, different people come in, they've seen the service online and they want to try it out for real. Uh, The first of those, well, it looks fabulous. Uh, uh, Great looking clothes, um, great jewellery, ring on the finger, Uh, clearly someone with money and a lot of confidence, head held high. The second person who comes in, not so much. Shabby, dishevelled, head down, not making eye contact. Which one are you more pleased to see? And which one are you more likely to make the effort to talk to afterwards? James imagines the rich people, uh, making uh, someone making a massive fuss of that person and saying, oh, come with me, I'll show you to a good seat. And imagines the poor person... Well, you just go and stand in a corner or sit on the floor. Has that much changed? Partiality, favouritism, it's everywhere in the world around us. Some people are simply treated better than others. The evil of racism is rightly being challenged at the moment, but favouritism takes many forms. It can be anything. It can be how attractive a personality you are, your accent, your looks, Uh, your clothes, your trainers if you're young, uh, your job, oh she's a dot dot dot, um, your possessions, I can't believe he's still using a Nokia. We absorb it from TV, from uh, adverts, from passing comments as we're queuing in the supermarket. We end up with a checklist in our minds of what makes someone really worth knowing And what makes someone not really worth the effort? People we look up to, people we look down on. And on the average day, you and I are probably not even aware of that checklist that's ticking away in our brains. But then we come to a church meeting. And there's all these different people around and thoughts start to pop into our heads. Well, he's my kind of person. Uh, Oh, I'll sit next to her. I'll have a really interesting conversation hope i don't have to talk to him maybe i can sneak out without uh, having to chat today and that kind of favoritism that kind of bias and judgment that we all recognize i would suggest it's well it's not what christians should do it's double-minded it's what the world does all the time but christians should not do And verse 4 is pretty strong in its condemnation of that form of behaviour. First of all, have you not become judges with evil thoughts? And the answer is yes. Yes, we have. But I said a minute ago, James isn't writing simply to expose our sin. He is doing that. But he's writing to help us to change. And to tap us deeper into God's way of looking at things. So two things here that he talks about that will change us. Two things that will enable us to treat people equally and not to show favouritism. The first is to understand that true riches are given by God through faith in Jesus. There's something that God loves to do that James has explained in chapter 1 and he explains again here in verse 5. God loves taking financially poor people and saving them simply through faith in Jesus and then giving them enormous spiritual riches. A new identity as his children, every spiritual blessing in Christ. The highest possible position in the universe to be with Christ seated in the heavenly realms. That's how we're described in him. Uh, given a bigger inheritance than any of the rich people of the world could possibly give to their children because it's the living God giving us his kingdom forever to be his people. God loves doing that. There's something else that God loves doing that chapter 1 goes into and it has to concern with the financially rich people. He loves helping them to see that they're here today and gone tomorrow, just like a mist, just like a flower. They, they should be humble. And God loves showing them that, humbling them, helping them to see they can't earn his blessing, let alone buy it. They just need to admit that actually spiritually they're bankrupt. And that they need his mercy and forgiveness too. And then he loves making them spiritually rich, forgiving them and bringing them back to himself. It's just like Jesus said in the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. God loves to subvert the way the world does things, the order the world puts things in. And and you see, God loves doing that. So if Christians, unlike God, start following the pecking order of the world, Start honouring people because they're financially rich. It's a total reversal of what God's doing. It will lead to all kinds of problems and it will put a distance between us and God. Because if we think that money is what really matters, that that's what true riches are, money and what money can buy and the people who have it, then we'll want to copy whatever the rich do. We want to wear whatever they wear. We want to let them have their own way and get away with the things that they want to do, and we'll sacrifice anything we can do in our lives, our families, our health, to be rich too. When we're tempted to think that financial riches, money, is what the world's about, verse 6 challenges us. It says, look at what financially rich people do to Christians. Obviously not all financially rich people, or some of them are Christians. But who in society, uh, back then and today in the world, are those that are put Christian missionaries into prison? It's the leaders, it's the people in charge who tend to be at the upper end of the financial scale. Who crucified Jesus? Who launches legal proceedings against Christians then and now? Who can afford the fees? The financially rich. To be impressed by money and those who have it is to fail to understand true riches and it leads to all kinds of problems. Because honouring money will divide us. It will divide us from each other. It will divide us from God. But to be rich in faith. To honour true riches. To receive from God everything that matters. everything, Every spiritual blessing now. And one day to inherit together his eternal kingdom. Well that will bring us closer to each other. Honouring those true riches... It'll bring us closer to God because we'll pursue him. We'll seek him together and it'll put money in its right place. We won't worship it. We won't honour money. We'll use it. We'll just see it. It's part of the stuff of life. And so we'll use it for what God intends and we'll worship him in the way that we spend it. True riches come through faith in Jesus Christ. They last forever. They're the great leveller and they take us actually to a really high level. Because rich or poor, it's the level that Jesus is at, at God's right hand. And we're in Him, in Christ, in the heavenlies, with God, now, and then inheriting one day His kingdom forever. That'll drive favoritism out of our lives, won't it? When we realize that that's what really matters. And the other thing uh, that will do that is understanding that we all need God's mercy. And we all want to pass that on to others around us. Verse 8, love your neighbour as yourself. That's what King Jesus said, the royal law, and that's what King Jesus did. He loved people in all shapes and sizes and without showing any favouritism. That's the right way to live. And uh, love your neighbour as yourself is a summary of God's law for life. It means, verse 9, if we show favouritism, we're lawbreakers. Perhaps we're tempted to say, well, you know, okay. But it's not that big a deal, is it? Favoritism? I mean, I have murdered anybody. Um, I was uh, speaking last week. I had the privilege of speaking with a group uh, about uh, experiences we'd had, they'd had, all of us, as we shared, of racism. And I was really struck by someone who very honestly and bravely shared that over the years just having to endure countless words and comments and actions, although no one of them was massive in and of themselves. Together, all those things felt at times like death by a thousand cuts. And the same is true of all kinds of favouritism and judging and bias in a church it'll make people feel like well you know i'm part of things here i come every week but they don't really accept me they don't really include me i'm not really welcome i'm not in on the in crowd if i don't turn up i won't really matter no one will will even really notice can you see that friends that's not loving our neighbors as ourselves is it and when God gave the Ten Commandments, it wasn't like one of those... Uh, you remember those exams of old... Uh, you got, got the question sheet and there were ten questions and the instructions were attempt any three. Uh, that's kind of how some people approach the Ten Commandments. But God says, no, here are the Ten... This is, this is how I want you to do things. This is my way. And uh, the summary is, love your neighbour as yourself. And so what, what, uh, what that means is if we're showing favouritism... We're breaking God's law and verse 11 is really striking, really challenging what it makes of that. It puts favouritism on a level with adultery and with murder because it's all sin. It's all breaking God's way of doing things, God's law. So I'm hoping that if you need convincing that we all need God's mercy, then this passage alone will be enough. This issue alone should be enough to convince us that we all fall short. We all need that mercy from God because verse 12 and 13, they look ahead to the day of judgment. We'll all stand before God one day and give an account of our lives and everyone on that day wants to receive from God either judgment which is justice, uh, just punishment for the wrong we've done, for every unloving act and, and word or mercy because we put our faith in Jesus Christ who's already received the just punishment for the sin that we've committed and receive what we deserve there are only those two alternatives it'll either be just judgment or mercy and if we're going round here and now in judgment mode in favoritism discrimination bias mode if that's the flow of our lives then it's not going to go well for us when we meet God and we are judged But if we're receiving mercy from God, if that's the basis that we're relating to him and to others, if we're passing it on, then there's wonderful joy in this life and the next. Do you remember Jesus uh, teaching the Lord's Prayer on this? He says, pray to the Father, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. The uh, vertical relationship we have with God and the horizontal relationship we have with uh, those around us, it's all linked together. There's something about forgiveness and mercy. If we're going to receive it, we have to be willing to pass it on. Verse 13 God's mercy triumphs over judgment for all who put their faith in Jesus. As we receive it, we must pass it on. It's like a flow. Do you see that? It's like a river. It's supposed to be passed on and as we do that, it cleanses us, it renews us, it refreshes us. It makes us new people. Even on the other hand, we say, oh well, I quite like a bit of forgiveness and mercy, but I'm not going to give it to anybody else. I'm going to, as it were, try and put a dam across this river. All we do is create a stagnant pond. We have to receive mercy from God. We all need it, but we have to pass it on. And that's how transformation will happen in our lives, in our church, in our world. And it means that there's real hope for change for all of us, even for the worst racists in the world. Because racism isn't isn't a different category of sin than all other sins. It's just a very, very nasty and sometimes very vicious version of favouritism. But actually... It's all breaking God's law. It's all sinful. It's all offensive to Him and damaging to ourselves and to others. But as we own up to it, as we own up to whatever our sin is and go to God for mercy, we receive it from Him. We start to pass it on. And so it will transform our lives. We'll start to love our neighbours as ourselves. We don't want any kind of favouritism in our lives. So, next time we as Christians attempt to think, you know, I wish there were a few more celebrities who were, um, yeah, who were, who were Christians. I just feel, I feel like I could be a bit more confident in speaking about my faith, who were more famous people. You know, we're all partial to a bit of celebrity, aren't we? A bit of glitz and glamour on our side. But that's not what should make us confident as Christians. It should be because... God's poured unimaginable riches into our lives. He's had mercy on us. Next time we're with a group of people and we find ourselves ranking them in some way, we're not going to tell ourselves, oh, you know, it doesn't really matter. It's only a bit of favouritism. Because we're going to say, no, hang on a minute. No, James says that's unloving. It's sinful. Of course it is. And so we're not going to despair about it either. We're going to admit it to God and pray to him and ask for forgiveness and go to him afresh for mercy and for changing our lives you see when god sees us when god watches people walk into a church meeting he doesn't say to him oh look at her natural talent her degree her impressive job i could really use her neither does he say oh look at him Oh dear, he's not got a qualification to his name and those clothes are a bit old. The world thinks like that, but not God. He sees sinner after sinner after sinner spiritually bankrupt. And he gives true riches to every single one who puts their faith in Jesus. And whenever you or I feel like there's a gap between us and other people, whatever it is, socially, financially, culturally, whatever it is, it is nothing compared to the gap between us and almighty God. And he's bridged that in order that we might be his people. He's bridged it. He's had mercy on us. So all of us who are trusting in Jesus are are, are the same. We're, We're saved by sheer mercy. So let's pass that on to others. And let's remember, we are truly rich through faith in Jesus. The level we've all been put on by God together is an incredibly high level. To be his children, to be his people forever. So we rejoice in that and we long that others would enter into it, it more fully. Uh, others would enter into it and we'd all together enter into it more fully. Amen. Amen.